0: Hey, everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You are listening to the Super Revenue Brothers with Raul and Tony. In today's episode, we are going to talk about how to survive your next board meeting. I'll be taking the position of a CEO. Raul will be taking the perspective of a VC. Enjoy.
1: I have nothing that comes to mind right now to riff off of. That's, that's how it usually is. That's right, after the a
0: while you're like... So, you know, maybe people will figure this out, but uh, we've been kind of recording now for almost two hours to over two hours. Two hours, yeah. um, And after that, we're going to go have dinner. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I unfortunately cannot open a beer right now. I would have done that have another external uh podcast in a second but otherwise we would have you know we should be drinking beer
1: i think with the last one i think we have one more episode after we should do the beer
0: yeah then then we'll do that so but this is not for now now we're going to be sober and all um button up and
1: everything but yeah Raul, thanks for thanks for taking the time thanks for being here thank you for taking the time as well tony and i think we came up with one topic sort of preemptively but also spontaneously that I think it's really interesting because there's two different sides to this and we're sort of have both of them sitting down right now, yeah. which is as a commercial leader, CRO, CSO, CCO, something like that. Yeah. How do you handle the damn board yeah. and, and what do you do about it? Like there's VCs, there's the CEO, there's advisors, all kinds of people. So having said that, Tony, you've been a CRO, you're a CEO now. What is in your mind when you have a board meeting coming up in two weeks, there's a the board. There is all kinds of people sitting there. What's in your mind?
0: Yeah. So obviously, uh, it depends a lot on how the last quarter went. I think that's that's kind of the uh, you know baseline number one. When it's going well, I think that's an easy time. I think <laughs> obviously kind of that's a good conversation you're going to have if you're the CRO and the commercial leader. There's going to be a lot of backclapping, but usually it doesn't end up like this, right? Usually you have kind of some kind of tension somewhere, and the way I've been. In the past, you know, trying to approach it in a way where I don't get fired is really and in two ways. Number one, be try and minimize surprises. I think is kind of number one. And number two, and this is really my more revenue ops past, I would say, go about it in a, if you can, data-driven way. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to handle a difficult conversation when you're not having an opinion or making up stuff on the fly but when you have a, here's some of the math reasons and the data reasons and, you know, some of that is driving it and that is kind of what's, what's creating the problem, right? If you have the ability to pinpoint what is going wrong, if you can show the ability that you understand why it's going wrong and that you have an idea of how you're going to fix it, I think some of those bad news situations, I think you're going to be able to much better navigate that and come out of this without... Without too much issues, let's just say it like that. Right. So it's like very much there's a board meeting coming up in a bad scenario, prepare your case, give some clear visibility going forward, and try and obviously, you know, achieve and hit that, you know, whatever you're going to say, try and at least kind of hit that. Right. I think what these folks don't want to have is surprise upon surprise upon surprise. I think you want to be less so surprising in that approach.
1: Yeah. I think you sort of jumped over a certain topic, though. But if I were sitting in a board, you you're, you immediately jumped into, it doesn't work. What do we do about it? Mm. Or the last quarter wasn't good. I think if, if I'm sitting in a board, I'm also very interested in when it worked. How do we now scale and go full speed on this? Mm. So I think this is sometimes overlooked, right? This is exactly the point where you don't want to just skip over the slide and say, hey, our goal was 200K. We reached 350. So great. Let's move on. And I'm I'm happy I I got out of the affair. No, rather, it's like, okay, this seems to be working. Can we get this to a million? Can we get this to 800K or something like this? But I think the underlying approach to both of them is the same, which is sort of you understood what you did the last quarter, and you sort of have a hypothesis of why things happened, and then you sort of have a hypothesis on how to continue.
0: I think the positive scenario, I think, to be honest, as a CEO, I think that's how I would be thinking about it, right? Because... It's not only, okay, instead of 300, we hit 350. What pops into my head as a CEO is like, okay, cool. Maybe that's an opportune time to go out fundraising. Maybe that's an opportune time to double down whatever we have. And let's have that conversation because that that will trigger a budget conversation right there. That will trigger all kinds of other conversations. And you as a CRO, you can... I don't think you should kind of bring that stuff up, you know, out of the blue proactively in a board meeting. I think you should coordinate with your CEO, obviously, kind of to even kind of make that case. But so that's why I was kind of latching onto the negative piece. This is where CEO, I I think to 80%, okay, maybe there's a little bit little bit much, but 25% of the reason why I would hire a CRO is to have distance between you and the negative sales result. Right. So when it's
1: going well, the CEO gets to sell it. When it's going that's bad, it. the CEO has that's to
0: it. S- okay. That's it. So I think um I think that's one of the reasons or that's I just think it's the more common situation for CEOs to run into. And the reason why I think that's the case is really that they, you know, there's a target that's being set that you as a CEO are being asked to achieve. I think we we're gonna talk a little bit about kind of how to set better targets and so forth. But usually we're kind of executing a plan, right? And because of this plan being really ambitious, the chances are going to be that you're going to be off track somewhere here, right? Uh, and let's just say you're the CRO and then there's a CMO next to you, not under you, but next to you. You will be suffering a lot from, you know, what the CMO didn't achieve or what the product team didn't achieve. At the end of the day, you're still the one that didn't bring in the revenue number. Mm-hmm. And you're the one that's, you know, being looked at, right? So our product was delayed, but, you know, you need to sell what we have, so let's go. And I think it's there's a lot of pressure accumulating at the person, whoever it is, by the way, that owns the bottom end of the funnel, right? Yeah. And in younger teams, it will be VP of sales and so forth, but that's where usually the pressure accumulates. And also, you know, yeah, sure, job risk is higher, but usually also compensation packages are higher, yeah. by the way.
1: But I think it is an incredibly important point that you're bringing up, right? So it, it's... Maybe we can't change it with this podcast, that's the thing, but it's probably a good idea to be conscious of that, if, if you're a zero and, and maybe understand that's basically the rules of the game when you're in that position, uh, rather than when you're a CPO or a CTO. And maybe that you're not specifically a victim, like nobody targeted you here, but that's sort of the role there. Yeah. And so how do you deal with that accordingly? Like not it, just in general, like, do you just go out there as a CRO and be like, okay, I accept that I have a higher risk of being sacked and I know that I'm the first target here. It's just part of the game. Or do you try to, and probably both, do you just try to become really good at, at, at sort of maneuvering that thing? Yeah, I think... You need to try and put yourself
0: in a position where you can be successful. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's what it is for me. And I think the fun and games of the board meetings to come is usually being decided in October, November, December, the prior year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how I think about it. Yeah. So, so number, the
1: planning, you mean? In
0: so itself. let's just say it's the planning. Yeah. Whether we're going to give it the boring planning word or it's hmm. you know something similar to it. But what happens there is let's just say you come off a good year, your Q4 was good, you put forward a new plan or you're, you know, in the good Q4, you put forward a new plan. Um, It's much easier to have a conversation about ambition and maybe dialing this down based on data than to have a conversation that is six months later or nine months later, you miss three times. And you now have a conversation about reforecasting and taking down targets and so forth, right? I think you should be pushing for the number that will ultimately might make you more successful when you have the strength to actually do it, right? Uh, And that will be on the back of a successful period. It will be at the back of a successful year or Q4 or something like that. Um, And then you can manage that conversation in a much better way. Now, how do you know what a better number actually is? right? And I think, and this depends heavily on the maturity of your business and and how much data you have to run by, by the way. So if you're like one or two million and you have very little past data, I think it's difficult. If you are past 10 million, and I think past 10 million, this is really where, where your organization is going to become much more of a factory, actually. You will understand, you know, how many opportunities you can generate from the marketing side. You will understand how many opportunities you can generate from the sales SDR side and so forth. You understand your churn, your upsell, you understand your conversion rates. And you can use all of those different data points to give you, number one, just a baseline expectation. If you keep doing what you're doing right now, where are you going to end by the end of next year? That's your worst case scenario. It's kind of the non-invest case, more or less, right? And then the board will come, you know, with the CEO and the CFO and everyone is excited because they looked up the unicorn table. And there's like, ah, you know, we were at nine million. Next we need to be at, I don't know, 20 or 30 million. Um and and then you basically need to go off ideally with your RevOps team, by the way, and try and figure out, okay, the gap between baseline and that other number, how are we planning actually to solve that? Right. And I think in teams that, you know, jump over this step a little bit too easily or don't have enough friction, you know, when the, when it comes to this part of planning. And again, planning is boring. They will end up <clears throat> saying yes to a lot of things. And then they have some opinions around saying no potentially to some areas. And then the board at the CFO, the CEO will kind of push back and say, like, why no on this? You know, blah, blah, blah. And the answer then, you know, usually then doesn't end up being data driven and you get, you know, pulled even further into, you know, one or the other direction. Yeah. Right. And I think... If you are in this situation and you're not really like strong on this, I think you will get sucked into whatever the CFO or the CEO wants, and then you probably will have a hard time executing this whole thing.
1: <laughs> there was a lot in there, but I think you made a couple of very strong arguments, really for the power of planning in itself, and not just for the fact of having a nice plan, mm-hmm. but also for the as a protective measure even when target setting already so the and 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 the other argument I would put here I would put in here is it is really easy to just be ragged all around when you're not straight on your numbers when you're not straight on your hypotheses and yeah. where you get them from and it's really easy as you said to be led astray from them and be like okay because the the defaults always going to be not just by the CEO but by the board in itself it's always going to be ambition so yeah the default's always ambition the defaults is the ARR napkin that they took from, I don't know, updated 2023 sauce napkin. And yeah. this is the number, right? Because this is the business of VCs. But you have to understand that the business of VCs is building unicorns and nine out of 10 will not make it. And so they're going to apply the unicorn metrics to all of them. The, the way I would see it, Mr. VC here on the <laughs> other side, the way
0: I would see this actually is you need to use VCs, so being the people in your boardroom, not the funds, for what they what they are good at. And what they're good at is telling you how your organization needs to look like by the end of the year or by the time your money runs out. That's what they're really expert at. It's like they can tell you, well, if you have this set of numbers, chance are you will only raise this money, and chance are you're not going to be on the unit track anymore, and so forth. Um, and you can have a conversation about ambition. So we know which set of numbers on the valuation side and the fundraising side do I want to have, and then that reflects back to those are the metrics I need to hit, right? You can have that conversation with them and that's really all great. What they are terrible at and the best VCs don't actually get involved with this um, is, okay, today and towards those numbers, how to get there, no fucking clue. And, you know, this is no offense to anyone, by the way. It's just, you know, this is the strength of then the management team. And in this case, commercially speaking, you as a CRO, is To figure out how to get from A to B, and then you would be doing your company a disservice, not your own career, but your company a disservice by saying yes to something that puts you on a higher burn profile that you maybe know is not going to happen anyway. Which then leads to you're out of cash, you didn't hit those numbers, and you will now struggle to raise cash to begin with, right?
1: And you're gonna get sacked,
0: yeah, <laughs> so it's like, and you're out as well, yeah. no. So, but that's my point, right? It's like, um. You know, when this happens, it's actually better for the organization that you push back. And what I've encountered many, many times myself is when I then, as a CEO push back on some of those numbers, it's like, ah, Tony, come on, you need to be a bit more ambitious here, Yeah, ambitious right? as a baseline. And, 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 and come on, you're just trying to optimize your commission check because you want to hit the 100% and, you know, all of that stuff. The truth is that some of that is not untrue. You know, it's part of it, sure, but in reality, what you want to achieve is instead of making this opinions all around, you want to use and you know, I'm I was a young guy, so I'm just still a young guy, kind of when I was kind of running for CRO and stuff, so I couldn't do like, well, in my past 50 years of experience, I saw those five things and that didn't work out. I had to use some other stuff, and my stuff was data. Yeah, I used data and said so like, hey, you know, we can. Sure, let's try and do that thing. I'm all for it. It would mean all of those things here, which I don't have any fucking budget for, by the way. If you want me to hit this number without doing magic, then I need more money from your CFO. Yeah. Are you prepared to give me five more million? No. Well, then now we have an issue, right? Yeah. And that is the conversation you want to start driving. And then you have this nice back and forth. And then it's also not that you're the boo man and the, you know, Debbie Downer that says, like, no, we can't do this. Now, you suddenly start to have a conversation.
1: Yeah. And so 100% agreement with what you said, but I'll have to start with one disagreement, which is most, all VCs other than Project A suck at helping bridge that gap, right? Because Project A have a lot of people who can help you. I reach think that the gap.
0: difference with Project A, because we're obviously on the Project A show here, you guys are also split, to be honest, yeah. right? And you have your investment team that isn't super active on the operational side. And they know that and they understand that. And for the things where there's something that is more important operationally, you guys have an operations team that come in and help, right? So kind of, I think that difference is pretty clear. And also with the two wonderful partners that I've been engaging with, that is also very clearly understood, right? So that there is a that's a clear separation of church and state to yeah. a degree. Yeah. And the church isn't good at running the state. And they know that.
1: And, and, uh, <laughs> and I think that's that's something that's... And not to oversell Project A, but that's something that we do really well. It's like, we understand that you're not going to have one person who's going to be able to do everything at once. Yeah. And, and so you do have some VCs where the guy who put the money in is also going to be the person who's going to be like, okay, this is what you how need to run people. By the way, this is how you need to build a CRM. It's like, okay, what can you not do at some point? So, uh, question for the VC here. Yeah. I don't
0: know you're from the operational side, but you yeah. know you know your way around the other side. So... VCs are all about hunting unicorns and, you know, the math, maybe we talk about this at some other point, but really it's, you know, the unicorns really what's you know, returning the fund and some, the rationale and some VCs are more aggressive than others, but I just wanted to kind of sense check that with you is sure out of 10, only one will kind of make it to the VC path, the the unicorn path. Some others might kind of, many others will die. And some others may kind of like an in-betweener. Would it, is it right or wrong to assume that a VC has an incentive to try and get those in between us that are not dead, but not growing to be a unicorn, to rather push them to unicorn and, you know, see them die if they don't, or to have kind of a mediocre outcome? How are you as a VC are looking at those those medium ones that are kind of not a not a real dent in, in, in your fund at the end of the day? Would you rather push them to something that, you know, is as a, as a lower chance of achieving, but then really achieving something great? So,
1: again, speaking from the operational side here, and keep in mind, Project A splits up into investment, operational, sort of. So I am not the person making the investment decisions. I'm yeah. part of it, to some extent, a little bit. My two cents. I think, yes, it's a unicorn game, or it's an outlier game. Yeah. But if I really am looking just at the makeup of our portfolio, but also not just ours, also at the makeup of other companies, it's not like it's unicorn or relevance. And, and there is also a, there's a significant amount of money to be made in between, and there's more than just money, by the way. So it's, do you really want to be the VC where it's when you're not showcasing as, do you really want to be, be be the VC where the message is, if you get money from that VC, if after a year you don't have a certain number, they're just going to leave you to hang. Um, So probably not, right? You still want to produce successful companies, and you also want to have a track record of producing successful companies, because that's what attracts new money, that's what attracts further companies. It's probably easier to be that VC, right? So yes, while to some extent you have to really be going and and doubling in on the companies where you think there's an extent of potential, I don't think you can permit yourself to be that cutthroat really yeah. with that money. You don't want to be that. And it's probably not going to be the path that's going to lead you to the next fund really big. And it's probably not the path that's going to lead you to people want to work with you and get your money. Yeah. So and having said that, however, mm. you do have to become really good at doubling down on things. Yeah.
0: No, so that makes total sense. And thanks for kind of elaborating on this, but kind of returning a little bit to the, the initial topic here, right? So let's just turn this around. So I told you my story as a CRO how you how are you from the VC side? So let's just say business is in trouble, you kind of know this already and then CRO comes in you know to the board meeting to present whatever. How would you have him or her best deal with this issue? I mean what yeah. would be the things that gives you the it's almost about confidence that that team is the right one, right it's that's what that's what VCS are kind of thinking about when they're looking at this. how, how would you kind of have them best deal with
1: this? So I think I would really double down on, on one thing that you said before, but make it even more extreme. I think a lot of CROs, CCOs, commercial leaders are really screwing up because they think they can afford very early on to not be good on their numbers, mm. to not have a, if you want to really be reductionist here, a revenue engine, mm. to not have that set up correctly. Yet. They think they can afford to wait until three, year three, four. I think you need to have a revenue engine from the first day. And basically, I mean, that's another episode in itself, but what is a revenue engine? It's an idea of how money will move through that company. Mm. How will you generate revenue? That's the whole point of that thing, right? You put some money in, put some money out. There are some factors that go into that. And as you progress to your company, you should become significantly better at understanding that engine and having more factors in and all that. But you need to have that right from the start. And why is that so important? Because that will be one of the most important bases for arguing why you achieve a certain target or didn't but also how you're going to proceed so what i would like to see is yes okay you screwed up you managed or you didn't manage to achieve to go somewhere what now right is this a point where you understood how things happened or maybe you're still figuring it out but you have an idea of how you would figure it out yeah and you can show me how you would then proceed right do we need to are we going to reach a target at the end of the year let's not go into reforecasting yet because maybe that's a dicier topic. But let's get into, okay, how can we still reach the target now? And don't just tell me, oh, we're going to, I don't know, hire more people. Is okay, but that's going to cost money, right? And you just said that, right? So you need to have sort of a a grasp on a lower level or, an, or on a higher resolution of details than you might think. So if I'm telling you as a board or even as a CEO, yeah, just implement that CRM, right? You're, you, you as a good conscious CRO should tell me, okay, where do I get 2 million from? And I would be asking you, why do you need 2 million? The thing just costs 100K. Well, we need to implement it. It's going to take this amount of time. We're going to have opportunity costs on the sales side because we lose that time, blah, 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 and so on and so forth, right? So you have to be good on those numbers because otherwise you're defenseless. Yeah. Those numbers are your armor. And I think that's your strength. A lot of CROs think that's something that they can just overcome. So they're just watching through the first three, four years of a company with no armor on
0: no, but I also think when we're talking data and numbers, we're not talking nail your sales forecast, right? Just to be extremely clear, sure, that's one great number to have you know control over and so forth and and be knowledgeable of. but it's just one out of many that make up the you know the revenue engine to yeah. begin with, right? and it's it's really kind of basically your full funnel, the conversions between the revenue you get out of it, the people you need to put in the initiatives you need to drive. All of that makes up your revenue engine at the end of the day and having a good understanding of, I believe, root cause analysis, like something is off, we see this in the numbers, why is it off? Kind of clarity on this is I think, and to be honest, in a boardroom it's not like they have infinite amount of information about you. Yeah, It's very often the story that you're able to tell And yes, the story and the actual root cause, those two things obviously need to match ideally, but you wanna keep it simple. I think some of those simpler stories are sometimes landing much better than something super convoluted and complex. So having clarity on what is going on and why. And then the other thing is to your point, okay, maybe this is already caused a revenue gap. You wanna understand how much revenue that actually is in order then to find an adequate response. And that adequate response, ideally, rarely so. By the way, ideally means: are we just going to get better somewhere else magically? I usually don't believe in that. Or there's <laughs> going to be a hey, we yes, we will need some more budget. And, Whether and- or not that triggers a reforecast is a different conversation. But having kind of this nodding around the table, okay, you know, we see a reasonable chance to still hit the plan if we add another half million dollars here in this thing. That's a conversation that VCs love to have.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I'm laughing there because I think most of the times when shit hits the fan, that's really the only outcome is, okay, we're just going to pray and hope that we're going to magically increase our conversion rate yeah. by 50%. It's like, yes. okay, it's not that's impossible. If you were telling me, hey, we're going to add sales trainers, we're going to add this and that and increase our onboarding and improve the hiring, whatever, maybe you can do that. But then that costs money again. So there is no, you're not going to just with no further input. I, yeah. It produce that out of itself.
0: No, exactly. And I also think that VCs by now, again, the people, not the funds, they also, first of all, they're used to bad news, I would say. But, you know, since most of the companies go bankrupt anyway, guess what? Most of the news will be bad that they're kind of receiving. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm just thinking. Um and then really the other thing is many, many, many investors, they're becoming extremely sophisticated on the numbers end of these, yeah. all of these games, right? And it's not just this typical CAC payback that they know what the range is or you know, what a good gross retention rate looks like or something like that. I think it's also on the... I talked to kind of one investor and we kind of riffed on that topic as well. And someone was presenting them with a plan that, you know, they're going to hire so many people and blah, blah, blah. And then the only question he asked, like, so when are you going to hire these guys? Like, you know, in in February. I was like, okay, but uh, how long do they need for ramp-up? Like, nine months. So all of these guys are really only going to be ready, like, in October? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and he didn't ask a single question anymore. Everyone in the room knew that, okay, this plan is fucked. There's no reason to believe in this plan. And my point is, don't try and, you know, bullshit your way around some of these things. Um. Some of that stuff is really difficult to spot, by the way, from the outside. Um, some of that stuff isn't. And the more you try and bullshit your way around it, I think the more you will be caught with your pants down and the more the VC might think, like, maybe it's not the right team here. And guess what's the next phone call going to be between, you know, the investor and the CEO? It's yes. like, the CRO, are you, sure? are you sure about that guy? And, you know, you want to stay
1: away from that. I agree with that so much. And I think there's really not any person in particular I'm thinking about right now. But I think so many people who have been in the CRO commercial leader VP sales game for a bit longer than, let's say, between five to 10 years, somewhere around that frame, they're used to a world where basically they were untouchable as to argumentations for how things worked and why they'd worked. And that time is over. And it's even going quite fast. So it's that CEOs are more and more understanding how commercials come to be, mm. but also VCs are understanding that better and better. And so you, you can't just put up a slide where it puts up some numbers and, and you're like, okay, that's how we reach them, and then you sort of glitch over it. You need to be much more firm on, on where these numbers come from. So just the overall education of the topic in the market disallows you from yeah. having some of the very shaky argumentations. One One quick
0: hack fix for your tenure in the organization. Obviously, Growbox is all about revenue modeling and monitoring and planning and all of that stuff. But one quick hack is actually around build up a funnel, have an expectation how that funnel should be behaving over time. And then when something is going off in that funnel, it will give you, depending on your sales cycle, two to six months to fix it before you will see the problem in revenue. Yeah, set up an early warning system to try and guide you "Uh oh, you know, something is going wrong. It could be on the hiring side. It could be on the campaign side. It could be on just generally opportunity generation side. It could be on these areas where you have indicators that tell you that you're not trending to where you want to trend. And that actually gives you then, depending on your sales cycle and so forth, that actually gives you the opportunity to say after a good Q1 to say, hey, I'm a little bit worried about Q2, you know? And now you just bought yourself lots of credibility for Q2. It's like, hey, we did X, Y, and Z, and A, B, and C in order to try and fix it. We only got half the gap done. We know what we're going to do better for Q3, but we miss Q2. Having the ability to have that conversation with the board gives you like so much leeway, I felt, So I just just wanted to pass that little trick here on to to everyone else. You know, maybe you guys are super sophisticated and you have all of that in place, but if you're only focusing on revenue and not on the drivers that lead there, then I think you're doing yourself a disservice.
1: Yeah. And the, I mean, the meeting will go by what you're focusing on. So if all you're focusing on is the revenue outcome, then obviously that will be the discussion. Even if you have the slide with the input factors, nobody will look over them really. And so... This goes back to where I said you have to start having a revenue engine right from day number one, right? Mm -hmm. And you need to have a lot of things from day one. Like, I understand that. It's not that I'm just trying to put another thing on top of your head. We're talking back of the napkin here. We're talking, and I think even here, like a lot of founders or like a lot of very early revenue leaders, they will make things much more complicated than they have to be. There's four numbers that you need to be very firm on just from the start of your company. Mm. That's the revenue formula. It's conversion rate, it's sales cycle, it's number of deals, and it's average order value. You need to start looking at these numbers right from the get-go. You can, if you want to, reformulate those into sales velocity, if you want. You, but that's already enough. Like If you start working with these numbers and you modulate those numbers into the future, then you will have something that you can look at three months down the road and say, oh, did, were we right about those numbers? Mm-hmm. And so what I really want to get to here, and this is the accumulation of everything we've talked about so far, the role of a CRO, in my opinion, from a from a board perspective, in my opinion, just personally, is you're you should look at yourself as a scientist. And you should detach yourself from the outcome of the business in itself. And what I mean by that is so if the business doesn't mean the revenue that you were targeting, yes, you could be the scapegoat. Like you screwed up, Tony. Like yeah. bad, bad boy, shame on you. What did you do? And you're like, oh, no, I'm trying to be better. It's like, oh, sorry, Mr. Board. I was like, I'll make up for it. I think that's the wrong approach. The right approach is, well, there's things happening. I'm a physicist, and I'm going out there and and trying things out. And I'll report back with what we found. And I'll have strong hypotheses, and I'll go back into those things. The things that work, will scale. Things that don't work, we don't scale. But you don't get to like exactly influence everything that's, that works and what doesn't. And so it should sort of be a mix between that. You have to, be, you have, to be, have a good amount of physicists in there. Yeah. And by that, you can detach yourself from what works and what doesn't work and not necessarily be the scapegoat every single time a challenge doesn't work. Yeah, And so, very simple. Uh, rather than being like, oh, I apologize. We tried Google and it didn't work. You should rather be like, hey, we have a hypothesis that Google should work. This is how we will try it out. And this is when we will know that it worked or it didn't. And then three months later in the board meeting, be like, hey, guess what? Didn't work out. We'll try something else. Mm. And this is how you should be going about this, right? You should be above the, I'm a, I was a bad boy <laughs> kind of approach to, to, to reporting to a board.
0: No, and also don't forget, I mean, they have a much bigger problem than you have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit the, when you owe a bank uh, 100,000 euros, you have a problem. If you owe a bank 100 million euros, they have a problem, you know? <laughs> and it's a, it's a little bit kind of in this thing here. It's like uh, you are just currently their best bet to figure this thing out. And, you know, have that posture also, right? And not be defensive about it, too, enough, to your point. And then figure out ways to figure it out, right? And you can you can approach it like a scientist, of course. I think, you know, a combination of these things, plus data, plus logic, plus, yes, I also screwed up here, right? I think it's a good balance to be kind of be completely humble about some of these things. I think those kind of things might help you to manage the board a little bit better.
1: Yeah. So I hope that was insightful from a lot of different angles looking at this topic. For your next board meeting, maybe you'll take something away with it. Become better at planning, like the hated term, and get away from being the scapegoat for every single thing, right? Yeah. To some extent, it's the game that's being played, Accept it and make the <laughs> most out of it, right? <laughs> if you have more questions, you can hit
0: me up on LinkedIn, Tony Holbein more than happy to talk about that specific topic so right. uh, thanks a bunch of having me a thanks tony and thanks everyone for listening Bye-bye. all right